Well, it's good to be here today, and uh, I do appreciate this opportunity to come before you and bring God's Word. And so, you know, last week, Pastor Ed was here, and as Ed continued in our series of Journeys with Joseph, he walked us through chapter 41 of Genesis. And among other things, we saw that Joseph had interpreted two of Pharaoh's dreams. And as a result, he was elevated from prisoner in Egypt to governor over Egypt and placed in charge of gathering and storing all the grain to survive the seven years of famine yet to come. But Pharaoh also blessed Joseph with a wife who bore him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Ed also keenly noted that in spite of Joseph's rise to power in Egypt following his false imprisonment, he didn't leverage his new power as an opportunity to seek vengeance on Potiphar or his wife for falsely imprisoning him, or even upon his own brothers for selling him as a slave. So this week we're going to pick up where Ed left off by covering the events in chapters 42 through 44. Now that being said, three chapters is a lot of ground to cover in one week, but don't despair because we're going to narrow our focus as we make our way toward chapter 45, where Alan's going to pick it up next week. So as chapter 42 begins, the seven years of plenty have ended in the land of Egypt. And God, as predicted, caused a severe famine throughout the land that extended all the way back to Jacob's family in Canaan. In fact, we're now in year two of that seven-year famine. And Jacob, upon hearing that there was grain available for purchase in Egypt, sent 10 of his 11 sons there with money to buy grain. However, he held back his favorite son, Benjamin, from making that initial trip. So the sons of Jacob traveled to Egypt. And what do you know? They quickly found themselves face to face with their long lost brother, Joseph, whom they sold into slavery decades earlier, but they didn't recognize him because they were convinced he was dead. However, Joseph was not only alive, he had risen to power by the hand of God and was now second in command of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. So we're going to use chapter 42 verses 6 through 9 as a launching text today, and you can follow along in your Bibles or the screen behind me. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation today. Verse 6. Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people. So it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. I've entitled today's message, Slow and Steady Wins the Race. Let's pray. Lord God, I never take lightly the privilege and honor of standing before your people to proclaim your word. But of course, Lord, I can't do that in my own power. 
Lord, I've done what I can do. Now I need you to do what you can do. Anoint me for the preaching of your word tonight so that it falls on listening ears and obedient hearts. And it's with great privilege that I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joseph lived an extraordinary life. In fact, so much so that 38% of the entire book of Genesis is devoted to him. But why was his life extraordinary? After all, he didn't perform signs and wonders like the great prophets of old. He didn't work miracles. He didn't call fire down from heaven to consume the enemies of God. He didn't part the Red Sea. He didn't raise the dead. Heck, he didn't even heal the sick and cure diseases. In fact, as we've previously seen, much of his life to this point was better associated with family drama and dysfunction, grief and loss, trauma and rejection, and hardship and trials. Things we'd very much rather not pattern our own lives after. So the question becomes for us, what can we learn from Joseph in these chapters that can benefit us as we seek to live out our repentance and allegiance through obedience to King Jesus? After all, if we read scripture simply to acquire knowledge, then we're largely wasting our time. And I'm not minimizing the, important of, the importance of knowledge because God even once said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. But the ultimate goal when we read and study scripture should be to encounter God in such a way that it leads to ongoing transformation, a process that really never ends until we go home to be with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. You see, Ongoing transformation is the key in the life of every believer. Because without that, we simply become dead weight in God's kingdom. Therefore, the observations we make in Scripture should lead to applications that, when obeyed, should lead to transformation. And transformation is necessary not only to grow in spiritual maturity, but to come to a place where we can live out God's call upon our lives. So that being said, what observations can we make about Joseph that can help us take another step forward in our faith journey? And as I prayerfully considered these chapters, it became clear to me that Joseph underwent a process of transformation himself in order to come to a place where he was able to be used by God in such extraordinary ways. His was a rags-to-riches drama that didn't unfold quickly, easily, or without cost. And even then, Joseph, who lived 35,000 years ago, we can learn from his example because the truths I'm going to share with you today are certainly not unique to just him. So the first thing we can learn from Joseph is that transformation is a slow process. Once we enter God's kingdom, learning to take off our old sinful nature and put on our new nature, as Paul describes it, doesn't happen overnight. Transformation is not a quick process, and it never was. And Joseph was no exception. 
Look back at verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. In fact, it was 22 years before, at the age of 17, that God provided Joseph with two prophetic dreams that his brothers would one day bow down before him. And he was now 39. Someone once coined the phrase that patience is a virtue. But that's usually an understatement when God is involved because he rarely seems to work quickly. And that's because God's timing is not usually our timing. We'd like everything to happen yesterday because the culture has conditioned us to demand and expect immediate results. But God works differently from the culture. He prefers a slow and steady approach not only to accomplish his objectives in the world, but also to accomplish his purposes in our lives. But that's the way it's always been. For example, consider Abraham. 25 years passed from the time the angel announced to Abraham that Sarah would give birth to a son until Isaac was actually born. 25 years. Moses. 40 years passed from the time Moses fled Egypt as a fugitive until he encountered God at the burning bush on Mount Sinai. And then there's David. David endured 15 years of turmoil, including assassination attempts, from the time Samuel anointed him as king until he physically assumed control of the throne. And let's not leave out Paul. 17 years passed from the time of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus until he departed on his first missionary journey. 17 years. Even now, all creation has been waiting over 2,000 years for King Jesus to return and collect his bride, that's you and me, and execute judgment upon the world. And Peter addressed... Uh, this way back when, when he said this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The point is, God is slow and patient with us because we need it. I remember taking algebra my freshman year back in high school, and it was so foreign to me because up to that point, I had never seen math done using letters instead of numbers, and it made absolutely no sense. And I got behind immediately, and I never really recovered from that because the teacher didn't have time to devote just to me, but not so with God. He's willing to meet us wherever we are, and I thank him often for his enduring patience that he doesn't give up on us simply because we're slow learners in his kingdom. You see, school teachers have to measure performance, but God measures the heart, and the heart takes much longer to transform. And that's why he prefers a slow and steady approach to accomplishing his sanctifying work in our lives. So it shouldn't be any surprise, really, that Joseph waited 22 years for his dreams to begin. 
And I say begin to come true because this was just the first of four separate occurrences where his brothers would bow down to him. Take a quick look. Chapter 42, verse 6. They bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Verse 26 of chapter 43. They bowed low to the ground before him. And they bowed low again. And then they fell to the ground before him. Four times in these chapters, his brothers bowed before him. And the final three times included his youngest brother, Benjamin, who returned with them on the second trip. Joseph waited a very long time for God to fulfill his dreams. So what about you? Does it feel like the Lord's been slow in fulfilling his promise to you? Or maybe you feel like you've been walking on a treadmill, not making much progress, taking off the old sinful nature and putting on your new nature. Well, take heart because you're not alone. And remember that God works patiently behind the scenes, just as he did for Joseph, because he knows transformation is a slow process. Secondly, Joseph reminds us that transformation is not only a slow process, but it's a difficult process. Let's face it, God allows his people to walk through some difficulty in this life, including you and me. And how we respond to the trials we encounter makes all the difference. And again, Joseph was no exception. The 22 years he waited for his dreams to come true were not only long, but they were painful years, especially the first 13. He was rejected and betrayed by his own family and unjustly accused and imprisoned for 11 of those 13 years. But you know what? Those trials were not arbitrary in nature. They served a purpose in his transformation because they were trials of preparation and growth in godly character, something Joseph needed if he was ever going to live into God's purposes for his life as well as God's purpose for the nation of Israel. In addition, those years were times of testing directed by God himself. Look at Psalm 105. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. The years of difficulty were in fact necessary to shape and refine Joseph from a scared, immature teenager into the godly man needed not only to deal justly with his brothers, but to fulfill the ultimate will and purpose of God. Let me remind you that way back in chapter 15 of Genesis, following the Lord's promise to Abram that he would make him into a great nation, God followed up that prophetic word with this bombshell. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Look, the events in Genesis chapter 42 through 44 didn't occur randomly or according to chance. In fact, far from it. The truth is, God himself was superintending the outcome 
as well as the means. And Joseph's slow and steady approach to transformation was part of God's process. God chose Joseph in advance to play a strategic role in accomplishing his ultimate will. And years of testing by ways of trials and hardship were needed to prepare Joseph for that mission. God intended to get Jacob and his entire family to Egypt, and he chose Joseph to accomplish it. We'd like spiritual growth and maturity to occur quickly and without difficulty the moment we enter God's kingdom. But it doesn't happen that way. Instead, transformation is a slow and steady process that occurs over time. And it's filled with ups and downs and bumps and bruises. And it's often one step forward and two steps back. Transformation is just not a linear progression. And furthermore, genuine transformation isn't quick and easy because it happens on God's terms, not ours as we learn to do the hard things, like love God and love others, and learn to walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh, and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and deny ourselves and take up our cross and crucify our flesh and die to ourself and surrender our will to God's will. And on top of all that, resist the attacks of the enemy. See, all that fun stuff takes time, and it comes at a cost. But like Joseph, if we remain patient and faithful through the adversity, God will bring us through. Thirdly, Joseph reminds us that transformation requires a soft heart. A potter can't shape and mold hardened clay. It's impossible. The clay needs to remain soft and pliable in the hands of the potter if it wants to become something useful. When people do bad things to us, and they will, we always have a choice to make. We can invite bitterness and hatred to take root. That produces a hard heart. Or we can turn the other cheek and trust God and move forward. That produces a soft heart. A hardened heart will block and stifle your transformation. A soft heart will facilitate and promote your transformation. And Joseph, although he had plenty of ammunition, did not permit the injustices in his life to harden his heart. And that choice paved the way for his genuine transformation. You see, When Joseph faced his brothers for the first time in 22 years, he quickly realized they didn't recognize him. And so he tested them by placing them in prison for three days. And then his brothers began to speak openly among themselves. Look at verse 21. Speaking among themselves, Joseph's brothers said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Well, how did Joseph respond? Let's look at verse 24. Now, Joseph turned away from them and began to 
weep. You see, Joseph chose to maintain a soft heart in spite of the wickedness done to him by his brothers decades earlier. And as a result, instead of seeking vengeance against them, he became overwhelmed with emotion to the point of weeping. In fact, we're told in these chapters, including 45, that Joseph wept on four separate occasions in the presence of his brothers. After all that he endured, Joseph didn't permit the injustices to harden his heart. But you know what? I think it's even more than that. I think the soft heart that Joseph cultivated actually enabled him to love his brothers. Something a hardened heart would never do. Paul put it this way. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the requirements of God's law. Look, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those with soft hearts who are open to the things of God and those with hardened hearts who are not. And the scary thing is those with soft hearts, if they're not careful, can permit injustices to harden their hearts over time. And if that's allowed to fester and continue, they'll slowly become deaf to God and blind to truth. And so please listen to me when I tell you this. You must learn to guard your hearts. Proverbs 4.23 warns us, guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. That means the condition of your heart will govern your thoughts and attitudes, your actions and reactions, your priorities and behaviors, your allegiances and loyalties, and ultimately your destiny. Look, it's easy to guard your heart when things are going well. <laughs> However, times of testing will come as they did for Joseph, and they may even come from God. But the road to transformation is paved with a soft heart. One final lesson we can learn from the life of Joseph, and that is transformation demands endurance and perseverance. Joseph demonstrated for us that our faith journey is a marathon, not a sprint. In fact, slow and steady wins the race in God's kingdom. I barely made it through college back in the 80s. When I was a sophomore, the finish line seemed so far away, I considered giving up a number of times. And adding fuel to the fire was the reality that I wasn't very good academically. In fact, that's an understatement. I was a classic C-minus student, if there ever was one. And the truth is, those were the four longest years of my life. I mean, I thought high school took forever, but this was much, much longer. But somehow, in the end, I pushed through and I persevered. I scratched and clawed my way through semester after long semester, barely keeping my head above water. 
For me, completing a bachelor's degree was far from easy. It demanded endurance and perseverance. But I've discovered that nothing worth doing in life is easy, including following Jesus. In fact, following Jesus can be so hard that Jesus warned anyone considering it to count the cost before choosing to do it. Because many will try, but will fail. And as there is no reward for stopping short in college, there is likewise no reward for stopping short in God's kingdom. And Jesus didn't sugarcoat the truth when he talked about the difficulty of walking the narrow road. For example, he said this, A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, there is no prize for entering the race. The prize only awaits those who finish the race. There is no partial credit given. You either finish the race or you don't. And furthermore, we have to finish the race on God's terms, not ours. We can't change the rules along the way. And the writer of Hebrews put it this way, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Although Joseph faced unimaginable cruelty, rejection, and betrayal, he didn't permit those realities to hijack or block his transformation. He pressed on and he pressed through toward the finish line. He put one foot in front of the other and forged ahead through the adversity, trusting God every step of the way. He embraced a slow and steady approach to his transformation. And as a result, he lived out God's purposes for his life. His journey demanded endurance and perseverance. And guess what? So does ours. So Joseph, even though he hasn't been around for 3,500 years, can teach us something about transformation. And he did it not with words, but by example. Because example is always the best teacher. He showed us that transformation is a process that's slow and difficult. And it requires that we maintain a soft heart. And it also demands endurance and perseverance. And let me suggest one more thing in closing. Transformation is also a partnership. And this is a good thing. Because God partners with us in the process to help us become a new creation. So that we'll not only make it to the finish line, but we'll do so bearing fruit for his kingdom like Joseph did. In other words, we cooperate with God in the process doing what we can do. And God mysteriously does behind the scenes what only he can do. And although we don't have time to look at them all today, if you've been reading the chapters to this point, you've seen time and time again that God was with Joseph 
during that 22 years, and Joseph remembered God during those 20 years. That's because transformation is a partnership. Paul put it this way when he wrote, For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Like Joseph, we see Paul doing his part, but we also see that Paul recognized God doing his part. And somehow we come together in the partnership toward transformation. Quite frankly, I don't think we'd ever make it to the finish line without God's help, would we? So remember, slow and steady wins the race in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you for the godly people that went before us to set examples. Lord, may we all desire to become transformed into a new creation so that we can live out your purpose for our individual lives. It's not fast or easy, but Lord, you are with us as we take the journey. So we thank you, Lord. Go before us now, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.